Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about how do you help your kids with anticipatory anxiety. And there are some things that we can do as parents to coach our kids to handle that anticipatory anxiety before they get so revved up that they are beyond help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they spiral and then it's like, it's, it's too far gone. And I do feel like there are some approaches for anticipatory anxiety that are unique to that particular fear when you're anticipating something happening. And we're going to talk about what that is, how it can show up in a lot of anxious kids, and then what to do about it as a parent and really help foster those skills so that your child can take that into adulthood and handle those stressors that we all have as human beings. But when you have anxiety, you have it in a more acute, intense sort of way. Before we get started, I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and thankfully outside of the U.S. as well. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I will leave a link in the show notes. I'm doing a fantastic job in filling in that gap where parents are just not able to access that evidence-based OCD care that is so needed. Okay, let's talk about anticipatory anxiety. This is something near and dear to my heart because as someone who struggles with anxiety, I have a lot of anticipatory anxiety. I think anticipatory anxiety, how many times can I say anticipatory anxiety? (laughs) A lot apparently, but I think it's a normal human condition. Like who doesn't get anxious before something that seems to be a little overwhelming? But like I said in the intro, it's the acuity of it. And it's the immobilization of it to the level where someone's not able to function or it actually kind of sabotages what they're going to be doing. And I know my kids struggle with this too. And I think if you have an anxious child, the odds are you probably have a child that will struggle with this and and we want to help navigate them through it. So let's just start with what it is. Really, our kids can anticipate something and be anxious about anything. So it could be, I'm just going to give you random examples so you can, we can just get some concrete ideas around this. It could be Sunday night, your child's anticipating school on Monday. It could be it's the summer and they're going back to school and they're anticipating new grade, new teachers, new, you know, all the changes. It could be going to the doctor, getting some blood work, getting a shot, going to the dentist, you know, anything that creates anxiety. For my son, it's getting a strep test as well, like the test in itself, like the stick down his throat not going to happen. you know. So a lot of anxiety around that. For me, it is if there is an event that I'm going to and I have to perform or speak in some way, I have something next weekend that there's this chance that I might be called up on stage. I have been anxious about that for weeks. <laughs> and I've been trying to use all of my like, actually, I've been only using one skill, which I will talk about uh, as we move into this episode. But soon I'm going to have to tap into other skills because that that skill is going to have run its course. You'll understand this when I'm talking about it in a second. I can get anticipatory anxiety. My social anxiety makes me anxious about, you know, doing social events or going out and hanging out with people that I don't know really well. So I joined a book club and in the very beginning, I would get a little anxious about going. 
just like, you know, what if I can't find them? You know, I don't, do I remember who they are? You know, like all sorts of things. What else can you get anticipatory anxiety about? I mean, like literally anything, tests, presentations, going on a trip, the list is endless. So, I mean, it's obvious what that is, but what happens when our kids have anticipatory anxiety or when we do is we start to build some momentum in our head. And so there's a little whisper of what if, oh my gosh, you have this thing. What if, what if, what if it grows bigger and bigger. I call it snowball thinking because it's like a little snowball that's falling down the mountain. And it's like, you know, you're just, you're saturating in that. You're just stewing in the, oh my gosh, what if I embarrass myself? Or what if the shot hurts? Or what if I can't handle whatever it is? Because the what ifs are different for each person. And then those snowballs build momentum and speed going down that hill and they eventually cause an avalanche. And by the time the event or the day happens, depending on how long you've been building up these snowballs, you're buried and there's no way you can function. And so you've sabotaged that situation before you even arrived. And that happens a lot with our anxious kids. I can see it in my kids where I know it's not going to happen. Like they have, they are off the cliff. They are under an avalanche and they're not going to get out. And so how do we prevent that? Because a lot of what we're talking about in this podcast is really prevention. It's how can I proactively teach my kids to not get buried under an avalanche? That's the goal. And I use that analogy a lot, the snowball thinking and the avalanche, because I think it's a great visual to see, am I building snowballs? Um, And I talk about this in my How to Teach Kids to Crush Anxiety course. I talk about melting those snowballs, you know, as they're coming. And that will be my first thing that we're going to talk about when we're discussing the tools that we can teach our kids. But I want to preface this entire conversation with the goal is not for us to do this for our kids. And I think a lot of times in my courses and what I teach even in this podcast, we can be a little overzealous. And I use that word a lot just because I think it happens a lot where we're not coaching. We're actually doing it with our kids to the point where if we were not there, our kids would not be able to do this for themselves. It's very hard, I think, for some of us to pull back and let our kids connect the dots as we create skills for them. So ultimately, our job is to create the skill or to teach the skill and then to facilitate the use of the skill or method or approach or coping skill or coping mechanism without our involvement. And so then we're just kind of cheerleading. And that's the part that a lot of times parents miss is they don't pull back. They're right in the thick of things with their child. And then it develops often a comorbid condition of separation anxiety or codependence where the child feels like I am not okay unless my mom or my parent is right next to me. Because when they're with me, they can walk me off the cliff. And so I want us to be cognizant of that as I teach you these skills, because I want, I want you to have in the back of your head, how can I do this in a way that I will slowly have my child take the lead and I will just observe them and cheerlead them. And we'll talk about that as we go through each one. Okay. So let's break this down. I have a whole list of things from the, the start of the anticipatory anxiety to actually doing the event. So I actually have this down as point number five, but I'm going to move it up to point number one. This is not a solution, but I think it's a very helpful tool that I use so much in my own brain. And I use this a lot with my kids. 
And we talk about backburnering. This is kind of my language. I create weird things and this is just the way I talk. But I'll say to my kids, let's backburner it. And what I mean when I say backburner it is if something is happening months from now or even a week or two from now, it may not, depending on what it is, it may not suit me to stew and ruminate over that just yet. So all the other things I'm going to be talking about, we'll be diving into the anxious thoughts. We'll be talking about reframing. We're going to be talking about all sorts of stuff in what to do with all of that energy. But if the runway is too long and the launch for this event or this situation isn't going to happen for a while, I do not want miles and miles of runway because what's going to happen is that plane is going to you know, tap out of gas before it even can get flight. Right? I'm full of I'm full of analogies today. <laughs> but it's true because the goal is that we don't want our kids not to mix my my analogies or metaphors, but we don't want our kids to be creating so many snowballs that they're they're buried under the avalanche. If they have a long period of time, we may not be able to prevent that. And so it's not like kids can turn off their thoughts. And we don't want them to do thought stopping. I'm not a fan of that. That's not something that I think is helpful. But We want them to gently recognize that they're having an anxious thought about an event or a day that's going to be happening in the future. And then we want to have them gently guide their brain and say, I know that, I know that this is how I talk to my brain. I know you're worried about that, but we can back burner that and we can really worry about that maybe three days before it's going to happen. And don't worry, we'll practice, we'll think about it, we'll reframe, we'll do all sorts of crazy stuff, but it's too soon. And what that does for me is my brain. We'll still have a hard time unhooking, but I won't grow more snowballs. Like I'm aware because what my brain does when I am having anticipatory anxiety and what I assume is happening in my children's brain and maybe in your anxious kids' brains too, is they're stewing in the what ifs. And so anxiety is so good at providing us with a horrific movie in our head of how it's going to unfold. I wrote that in my book, Anxiety Sucks. You know, it's that anxiety has a great way of producing horror movies in our head. And so I can see it play out a million different ways, all bad and very scary. And so my brain gets stuck on the what if. So when I say back burner it, I'm catching those snowballs and I'm telling my brain not to not think about it, but I'm telling them, don't worry. I have this scheduled. We are going to completely worry about this in three days prior to the event. And when I do that enough with my brain, I become aware of my thoughts and I you know, gently redirect my thoughts and say, don't worry, we got it. We got it scheduled. Now is not the time. We're not going to focus on that now. We are going to worry about it, but not now. That satisfies my anxious brain because I'm saying we, we're going to worry about this, but it's, it's a little early. And I've taught my kids how to do this. Sometimes I'll say, what do we need to do with this thought? And they'll say, back burner in. I'm going to back burner in. And it's not a one and done, but it's a skill to say, it's too early to worry about this. And teaching our kids how to Be aware of their anxious thoughts that come in and to not grow them. And I often use the, in my practice, I would often use the language, don't grow snowballs. Are you growing snowballs? And it's not that you can control if a snowball starts to fall, but are you going to give it the momentum to grow into an avalanche? That's the question. That's what we're working on. Okay. So that's the first one is back burner. I have something happening next weekend where it is possible I have to speak to um, an audience. I may be called up on stage. I have been back burnering that for the last month and a half. 
And I know, even this morning I woke up and I go, oh my gosh, it's next weekend and I don't, oh, I hope, what am I going to say? And if they call me on stage, I need to practice what I'm going to say. And what I said to myself is, it's still too early. I don't want a long runway. It's not happening until next week. And so I said, we will definitely worry about this on Friday. (laughs) Now, when I say that, I'm not going to worry about it on Friday. I'm actually going to deal with it on Friday, but it satisfies my anxious brain to be like, okay, she's going to worry about it on Friday. She's got us, she's got us covered. And then I move on. It actually does work. It really, really helps me. I back burner a lot of stuff. Part of it is teaching our kids to be in the moment. And so a lot of times when my brain is having some catastrophic thinking about something that's actually going to happen, right? Because when we're talking about anticipatory anxiety, in in this episode, at least, I'm talking about things that are actually going to happen. They are going to go to the doctor. They are going to go to school. They're going to go on that trip. They're going to have to do that presentation. Like They're going to have to speak in public. Whatever it is, it's going to happen, but how do we handle that? So we're not talking about the the fantasy what-ifs or the catastrophic thinking that may or may not happen in general. We might have catastrophic thinking about how this event is going to go, but it is it is a real event. And so for me, it is helpful to go back to what is, what is happening right now. Oh, I'm making dinner right now. I don't need to be worrying about this. I'm watching TV right now. I'm going to refocus on watching TV. So I'm able to build those muscles in my brain to refocus my attention on what is and not what if. And that is a long-term skill. And you can't do that for your kids. You have to teach them how to do it for themselves. And it's up to them if they want to do that. And that takes some time and processing and and teaching them. Okay, so once we are moving out of the back burner stage, so like on Friday, this upcoming Friday, I'll be out of the back burner stage and I will have to deal with these anxious thoughts. And so the next step that I do with my kids and I did with kids in my practice, and I actually teach this in my How to Teach Kids to Crush Anxiety course. I have one on OCD too, but this is not what I do for OCD. This is purely anxiety. I would not teach this to a child with OCD because um, I wouldn't use the language I'm about to teach you because I would use more ambiguous language because this can turn into a compulsion. But with anxious kids, I talk about what are your red thoughts? So red thoughts are those anxious thoughts. This is what I teach in my course identifying red thoughts. And so a red thought is, let's use my kids as an example. They might say, oh, if I if I get my blood taken, it's going to hurt my arm. And then I'll say to my child, and if it hurts your arm, what's the worst that's going to happen? And if you've heard me talk at all, you know that that's, that's my language. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? I want to get to the core fear. Oh, and then if my arm hurts, then I might feel dizzy. And what's the worst thing that can happen if you feel dizzy? I, I mean, I soften it. I don't want it to sound like an interrogation. So I'll, you know, say that, that, yeah, that could be scarier that I understand that that worries you. And, and what would happen if you got dizzy, right? So you don't, you want to change up your language a little bit so you don't sound like a robot. And then she would say, well, then I might throw up. And she has a history of emetophobia, the fear of throw up. And so there it is. There's the core fear. I can go further and say, well, what's the worst thing that will happen if you throw up? And for her, it might be, it's embarrassing, you know. I'll feel like, you know, everyone's staring at me. For other people, it might be like, I don't like the burning sensation in my throat, whatever it is. That's the ultimate core fear, right? And so then we're going to talk about green thoughts. And green thoughts aren't distraction thoughts. They're thoughts of how can I view this event differently, right? So it might be, well, the last time I got my blood test, I told them about it and they took the the rubber band off of my arm sooner. And so maybe I can make sure that that happens again. And if I get dizzy and I throw up, 
that has happened before and it actually was okay. And maybe we can tell the tech beforehand, you know, she gets dizzy and she throws up and maybe they can have you lay down. And then maybe we can have like a bag ready for you just in case. So you feel like we have more control. So the other thing I want to say is that we don't want to spoon feed these red thoughts. Initially, I have had to help my kids connect the dots for these green thoughts. I mean, green thoughts, not red thoughts. The red thoughts, they're going to provide for you, ideally, if they're communicative and able to express their anxiety. But the green thoughts, we don't want to spoon feed. So I would say, well, what can what can you do if this happened? And what, you know, it takes a long time. It's like a multiple day therapy session at home, you know, with your kid, but to get those green thoughts initially. But what I have found is as you teach your kids, and I teach you how to do this in my crushing anxiety course, as you teach your kids to do this, they can do it for themselves. And so all I have to do then is cheerlead and say, well, what do you think your green thought is? And I know what they're going to say. And even from my green thought about having to be brought up to stage, I might say, you know, my red thoughts are, I won't know what to say. I'll be embarrassed. I'll say something stupid. All social anxiety, right? And my green thought might be, I haven't done this yet. <laughs> but my green thought will probably be, we will practice and we'll know exactly what we're going to say. And and if they, you know, if they think you're stupid, it's only a five-minute thing and who cares? You're never going to see them again. I'm going to do those kind of green thoughts. And so those will look different for each fear and each kid, but having them kind of have those things is very helpful. Okay. So once we have kind of an alternative story for how this can go, the next step that I normally do is I problem solve any possible issues or I accept the worst case scenario, depending on what the fear is. So like for my daughter getting blood work done, she's accepting that she may throw up. The ultimate fear is that she may throw up and we're accepting that may happen because it does actually, that may happen. And you can handle the discomfort because you've done it before and you were able to get through it. I may go up there and mess up what I'm going to say or sound stupid. And it's okay because it's just five minutes. It's not my whole life. And so I'm not like giving a whole like lecture or anything. I'm just saying a couple of, couple of things and then it'll be over. And I don't know these people and my life will go on, right? So it's, it's helping accept sometimes the worst case scenario or it's problem solving. So I'll give you another example. And I'm using some adult examples because that's just where my brain is today. But I'll give you an example. This is the only one that came to me. Like I get anticipatory anxiety about traveling. And since my husband passed away, uh, we were going to travel the world together. That was like one of our big things that we often talked about. And then when he died, I felt like I'll never be able to travel because I was so dependent on him to do everything. And so I've been doing exposures, traveling the world with my kids to show myself that life is not over and that I can have an amazing travel experience that I don't need to depend on other people, that I'm okay. I can do it myself. So when I'm getting ready to travel, especially when it's a scarier place for me because they don't speak my language and I don't know where I'm going. So we went to Istanbul, uh, we went to Bali, Hong Kong, like places where I'm like, oh my gosh, like what if I get lost? Or So I will problem solve a lot of those things beforehand. I bought a little gadget that translates, I can speak into it and it will like translate into their language. And I will look at maps and I will look at all sorts of things like where we're going, what we're doing to make sure that I have problem solved a lot of my concerns. And so sometimes our kids can problem solve their concerns too. If you're afraid that you have to go to the bathroom, what can you do, right? I've had kids with metaphobia, the fear of throw up where they didn't want to go to school and we'd problem solve, okay, we just want you to get to school. 
right? And so a little bit of accommodation in, can we have an emergency plan? If somebody in your class throws up, that's their core fear. Um, I once had quite a few kids actually, who their fear was more about seeing someone else throw up versus them throwing up and not feeling like they can escape the room. And so we would come up with a problem solving plan, you know? And so I've had a lot of kids where they were allowed to leave the room without asking permission. If someone threw up, the likelihood was really tiny, but they knew they had a plan. They were able to go to the library or they able to go to the counselor or to the nurse, or actually none of them would want to go to the nurse, to be honest, or to the office. And they would have like maybe a pass in their pocket or their backpack that they could always use in emergency. And that reduced their anxiety because they felt like they had a plan. That wasn't the the main therapeutic goal. We want them to learn how to sit with the discomfort that someone might throw up. But if they're refusing to go to school, that was a nice baby step to just get them to school. Hey, we're going to problem solve this plan. So sometimes you can problem solve some possible issues. Sometimes you can just move into acceptance of the worst case scenario. You can do both, right? For me, when I'm traveling, it's like, yeah, you might get lost in Istanbul, but you'll have your little translator and there are human beings around you. Like you can actually depend on a human being to, to help guide you. Like you're not alone. You're surrounded by people. And so that can help. Or, you know, for the girl who's worried about seeing someone throwing up, you have before and you were able to survive. You know, it, it's not going to destroy you as much as your anxiety or OCD is saying that it will. So those are some ways to problem solve and move into acceptance as well. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I'm going to be talking about rehearsal, visual imagery. We're going to be talking about grounding techniques and a couple of other things to do when the day or event occurs. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but 
it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it, so it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Welcome back. Okay, so moving on, I have five more things to talk to you about. 5.5, actually. (laughs) As we are getting closer to the event, depending on what it is, you can do some rehearsal. And so for anxiety, rehearsal is very comforting. So for example, just kind of piggybacking on the things that we've been already talking about, for me, I might mentally rehearse where I'm going to be walking or what steps I'm going to be doing. So when I'm getting ready to go to the airport, I mentally rehearse, okay, we're going to have a layover in Minneapolis. It's 2.5 hours. I've already pulled up the airport map and I know that I have to go into the other terminal and then I'm going to do that. Like I'll mentally like do a roadmap of where I'm going. People who don't have anxiety may not have to do that, but it is very comforting for me. And then it looks like, wow, I'll be like, make a left, go forward. And my daughter, my older daughter's like, you know where we're going already. Like it's just smooth. And, and it's not because I am innately like that because my husband was, which is the problem, but I prepared for it. Maybe he prepared too. Who knows? But you can practice. So let's say I'm giving a speech. So maybe I could practice in my head a little bit about what I'm going to say. Or if my daughter was going to go and get her blood work. Well, I actually, we were at the ER for something at one point and they had a disposable blood pressure cup and I took it to practice because she doesn't like the pressure around her arm. And so we would practice, which are really like, that's more like exposures, but we would practice doing that. So she got used to the feeling. My son, he had actually like an OCD issue. It was anxiety and OCD about being poked. And so it was like, he was afraid of cacti and we live in the desert because they might poke him. He was afraid of bees. It took me a while to see his core fear. I was like, wait a minute, what do all these things have in common? It was like bees and shots and cacti and even people poking his stomach, which was a very specific thing. And so he'd wear his pants all the way up because he didn't want them to poke his belly button. Like that's why I got into like the OCD world of kind of irrational, nonsensical. He'd cross the street if he saw a cactus, like very extreme, but he has pans and he needed a lot of medical testing done. So a lot of blood work and he, you know, shots come, they're like just part of childhood and it would be a nightmare. You know, he'd have to be held down. And now I don't have my husband. My husband used to be the bear that would kind of like cuddle him while he would get these things done. He's 13 now. So we have done so much better. Just a side note, he went to get his blood work done. He's had mysterious stomach issues, which I really thought were just anxiety and OCD, but I think there's something medically going wrong with him. And he had to get a bunch of blood work done and he did it. He just sat there. He was, he was literally shaking, like his entire body was shaking. But we did this, the things that I'm talking about in this episode. We reframed his red thoughts and green thoughts. We backburnered it until the day that he was going to get it done. We problem solved, you know, he was able to communicate and talk to the the lab tech and let her know that she that he's anxious and we distracted him with my phone and he told me I should talk to him to keep him busy. So we did all these things. We accepted that it may be uncomfortable and he did amazing. 
you did amazing. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm shaking. I'm like, you can't control that. That's okay. You don't have to apologize for that. But you are, you're talking out loud in a positive way. Cause I've been working on, he's always so negative. You know, this is going to be the worst day. This is going to be horrible. When my kids say that, I'll say, I guess it's going to be horrible. They'll be like, what? And I'm like, if you're telling yourself in advance, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be the worst thing. This is going to be a nightmare. Then it probably will because your brain's listening to you and your brain's like, oh, worst day ever. Got it. You know, the worst experience you've ever had done and done And so what we tell our brain has power. Not that we want to fill our brain with toxic positivity that doesn't resonate. But when I say this is going to be hard and I can handle it, or this is going to be uncomfortable, but I've done it before. So those things can really help. So moving on from there. So rehearsal, role play, visit. If it's a new school, I always tell parents, go to the school, you know, walk around the playground. My daughter, when she was going to high school, it was a huge high school. And I asked the staff, uh, we were out of district. So I don't know if that's, I don't think they, she, oh, I know what happened. She also missed like the incoming freshman day we were traveling. And so I asked the staff, is it okay if I just walk around, take her schedule and, and just show her her different classes? And they're like, sure. And so it was really nice. Like the whole campus was empty. And we were able to walk around and I'm like, and actually she met some of her teachers because it was like a couple of days before school was starting and they were in their, in their room. And so she was able to, you know, like, oh, hey, I'm Chloe. I'm going to be in your class. We're just walking around campus. And it made her feel more confident. I actually got a map of the school as well. And I said, you can keep this in your binder. So if you get lost, you can feel like you have a reference. And that really reduced her anxiety. So role-playing and visiting and practicing can be really helpful. If it's related, oh, my son, I was going to tell you this, my son with the fear of shots, this might sound really strange. I actually did a whole YouTube video on that. You can find that if you go to my YouTube channel, which is, um, you can find me, it's I'm at OCD therapist, Natasha Daniels. So if you actually just type that in, in YouTube, you'll find me. But we did exposures where I took a paper clip and I, you know, pulled it out so that it wasn't curled up and I would just lightly poke him on his arm and just even touching that uh, paperclip to his arm was huge for him because like I said, this is more in the OCD realm where just the idea of being touched in a pokey way was overwhelming for him. And so we did that and we did a lot of exposures around me just constantly poking him with a safety pin um, and he built up his tolerance. And he's like, well, if it's going to feel like that, I know I can handle it. We also got shot blocker, which is this little plastic thing you can find on Amazon that actually disseminates the, the pressure um, it's got little pokey things on it. And so just using that was kind of a trigger for him because it was very pokey, but that could be very helpful too. So those things can really help when you prepare. Moving on, I want to go back to where I was at. So we covered rehearsal. The next one I would talk about is visual imagery. And so like I said before, anxiety can create horror movies in your head. And I mean, I have those horror movies every day. And I think it's just part of some you can call them like intrusive thoughts or intrusive images, but for me, it's just my anxiety playing out the worst case scenarios in my head all of the time. And so I can't stop those, but I can control what I do with them. You know, do I like then take it and edit it and add my own little like part of the movie? Or can I give my brain a counter counterpart? Can I talk about, let me create my own movie that is everything going well, right? Because we never imagine that or at least I don't. I think the anxious brain very rarely thinks of all the ways this is going to go fantastically, you know? And so 
I teach kids visual imagery where I have them shut their eyes and I have them walk through what's going to be going on and imagine it going well. It doesn't have to be this fantasy of like, and then everybody, you know, stands up and gives me a standing ovation and they're like, you're amazing. It doesn't have to be like this glorious thing. It's just, I got through it. I went up on stage and I said a few things and people were like, okay, and they clapped and I was done and it was quick and it was not a big deal. And so a visual imagery of, oh, I went and I got my blood work and my mom was talking to me and I I got through it, just imagining it and getting through it. It also can be desensitizing if I'm doing some guided imagery of getting the shot or the blood work and I'm getting used to the idea. I have had kids where they've had to do some exposures where they've gone to the dentist and just sat in the chair and then gone to the dentist and sat in the chair and had something put in their mouth. And like having a dentist that is willing to do that, it's amazing. And that can that's just exposures where you're just slowly exposing yourself to the situation so that you can learn to tolerate that. But that can be helpful as well. So visual imagery can be very helpful of just doing it and doing it well where nothing horrible happens. Uh, our brain doesn't really think that way. And then you could take it to another level and say, let's fantasize it being really good. What could be something really good that can happen? And so you're giving your brain an alternative option to think about. Okay. The next one is maybe a little over, over preparing. And again, this depends on what we're talking about. This may not fit for everything. For me, when we're going on trips, it helps me to have everything ready to go. First of all, I'm an over preparer. So I've got little bags of everything in my purse. You know, I've got the vomit bags because my kids get anxious and throw up. You know, I've got all sorts of things going on there. I've got my like translation little gadget that, so over preparing for me the night before all of our suitcases are in the car. You know, we have all traveled with backpacks. They're all filled and ready to go. They have the snacks in them. You can tell I'm neurotic, right? (laughs) I'm like, give them the game away. Natasha's very neurotic. It's true, but it serves me. It actually serves my anxiety. It calms me. It makes me feel much better because I know when I wake up, all I have to think about is just get the backpacks, feed the kids, and let's go to the airport for our kids with the first day of school. If you're really anxious about going to school the first day, get all your clothes out, have your water water bottle ready, have everything ready. So all you have to do is just wake up, maybe distract yourself in the morning. I think it is okay to distract yourself in that day, in that moment, because Sometimes the adrenaline's really pumping, the cortisone's going. Like we don't need, we don't, the cortisol, did I say cortisone? Cortisol, we don't need any more stress, you know, or fuel to that fire. And so on the day of, if my child is getting ready to go get their blood work, I am bringing their iPad. Like we are, let's just watch something. I'll bring my phone and you can play at Crossy Roads. Like we'll want to take up some space in the brain at that point. And so, over-preparing can be helpful. If you have to present, can you have like little notes, note cards that make you feel like if you forget what you're going to say, you have those note cards that could be helpful. I'm trying to think of other ways to prepare. I know with my son, when he had to go get some, he actually had to get sealants and it was very overwhelming for him. And we had tried and it didn't work out. And so we rescheduled for, and we said, what would be the best time? And he said, the morning would be the best time, which to me, Doing things early in the morning is the worst time for me because that's when my stomach is the most fragile. So when I have to travel at like six in the morning or four in the morning, it's dicey for me because that's when I'm anxious already. It makes me feel really sick. But he said the morning. So when we drove there, 
you know, we prepared. We brought his iPad and I brought some water because he always wants to drink water when he's feeling nauseous. So we had all these accoutrements and then we sat in the car until the very last moment because I didn't want him in the waiting room anticipating the dentist procedure. It wasn't really a big procedure. It's just sealants, but it just shows shows you the level of anxiety that's going on there. But I didn't want him sitting in the waiting room for too long. So we had prepared, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sit in the car, then we're going to go in and you've got your iPad. And so a lot of preparation can be helpful. Moving on from there, teaching our kids grounding techniques when they are in full-blown panic can be very helpful. So this is something you're going to explore with your kids way before they are in an anxious situation. And this is something good to teach our kids regardless of whether they have anticipatory anxiety or not. I really feel like if a child has anxiety disorder, they have anticipatory anxiety because they're going to anticipate something that's going to be anxious, um, that's going to be anxiety producing at some point, right? Just, I mean, that's just the nature of it. But understanding some grounding techniques can be helpful. So in that moment, when your body is hit the emergency alarm bell and all those hormones are now you know, actively responding to this false alarm, how are you going to calm your nervous system? So it is still helpful to remind yourself of the green thoughts. And that's what my son was doing when he was getting his blood work. He was vo- verbalizing them. He was saying, I know that this isn't that bad. I always think it's bad, but it's not that bad. And I, you know, I've come a long way. And he was like talking out loud. And they were all his green thoughts. It was the first time ever I've heard him do that by himself, which is what we want to do. We want to kind of foster their ability to eventually do it themselves. But there are other things physiologically that we can do to calm the body. So does your child find smells comforting? For my youngest, she really is a smelly kind of girl. <laughs> she likes smells. She's not smelly. So we use like essential oils. You know, you can get ones that are like rubbing, not rubbing, that have like a roll on. And so I would roll them onto her wrist when she was little so that when she's feeling overwhelmed, she can calm herself down. When my husband died, I got Bath and Body Works hand soaps for like every sink in the house because smelling my hands was just like a a really grounding thing when I felt overwhelmed. So smells kind of bring me back to, I'm in my body, I'm here. And I also was at that point just looking for anything. I was looking for any joy, any like ridiculously stupid joy in my world to bring me out of my darkness. And so having good candles around the house and having body soaps that smelled good were just like the little things that I could do to have a little bit of joy in the misery. And two and a half years later, we still have our hand soaps everywhere because my daughter really liked it. She said, I always like wash my hands right before I go to school because then I can smell my hands all day and it makes me feel calm. So if your child enjoys smells, that's an option. You can also get necklaces that have like, they're like little lockets and you can put smells inside of them or bracelets. So that's an option too. Touch is another grounding technique. And so does touch bring them comfort? I notice for myself, I tend to like hold my fingers together really tight when I'm feeling overwhelmed. It's weird. I noticed it and now I do it on purpose as a grounding technique. And so I just take almost like pincer grips with both my fingers and I put them together. Now you know my secret. So now you'll know if I'm anxious, if you see me and you're like, oh, she's holding her fingers together. She must not be doing well. <laughs> but I'll hold them together and I'll t- I'll squeeze really tight and just that pressure kind of calms and grounds me into my body again. But teaching our kids something that can help them. Sometimes I think just pushing your feet into the ground, really feel that grounding, or sometimes I'll touch the seat of where I'm sitting if it has a texture to it. But you can also give them something to touch. So a fidget toy, uh, a worry stone that's smooth that they can just kind of rub in their pocket. 
those things can be helpful. Um, I have a ring that I tend to take on and off when I am feeling overwhelmed and that tends to calm me too. It's actually a three-part ring. It's like a little puzzle and it goes together. I love it. I got it in Bali. It's super cool. But anyway, I take it apart and then put it back together and it's a really good fidget. They do make rings that are purposely designed for anxiety and they have necklace versions too that they have like a little circle and you like can spin it. And so look on Amazon, you can find those though, you know, look up worry jewelry and you'll find what I'm talking about. There are like fidget jewelry that doesn't look bad, but it can serve that, that purpose. And the last one I just mentioned, I mean, there's a whole bunch of grounding techniques, but breathing can be very helpful. And I try to explain to kids that because I wasn't a proponent of breathing, to be honest, because I had panic attacks when I was in college and when I would breathe or try to breathe to calm me, it actually caused me to hyperventilate. One of my anxiety things is focusing on my breathing, worrying that I might run out of breath. And so breathing techniques don't work for me because it kind of hits one of my core fears. It does now. I can take like deep breaths and it, it actually helps. I, I notice I'm having shallow breathing and I can take deeper breaths when I'm feeling anxious. But it is important to be cognizant of what works for your child and what doesn't. You know, so if breathing is not their thing, don't force it. Because for me as a kid and a teenager and a young adult, breathing wasn't my thing. My kids like breathing and I'll, I'll prompt them when they're like, when my son was getting his blood work, I said, you know, like breathe through your nose and then out through your mouth. And both my son and my daughter like when I kind of direct them to do that. Ideally, we want them to be doing it themselves. And that's where we're leading. And I feel like my daughter does that herself when she's feeling anxious. I can see her doing that, but square breathing. So breathing in and holding for a certain amount and then holding it for a certain amount and then breathing out. I say for a certain amount because for me, again, because of my core fear of like not being able to breathe, holding my breath for a long period of time is anxiety producing. So for me, it might be, I think square breathing is sometimes four or five counts, you know, breathing in and holding for four. For me, it might be breathing in for three, you know, breathing in one, two, three, hold one, two, three, breathe out one, two, three. That, that would probably be better or not counting at all. But explaining to kids that when the nervous system and your false alarm button has been hit and you've got, you know, adrenaline and cortisol pumping through your body and it's trying to address this false emergency that it doesn't really know yet is your false alert emergency, square breathing or taking some deep breaths in and out helps reset the nervous system. And so it can help decrease the amount of time that your body is in panic mode. So that's nice. And for me, I'm a logical person. So if someone explains why this is going to be helpful, like how this is helpful, then I'm more on board than if you just told me I need to breathe. I'm like, I'm always breathing. Why are you telling me to breathe? Am I not going to breathe? That scares me. <laughs> you know. So explaining it might be helpful. The next thing I would say is if it's such a high level of anxiety that your child's not going to be able to do it and they are, they're seeing a psychiatrist, there are medicines that you can get PRN as needed to help them through those things. And so that can be something that you might have in your toolbox if it's just a bridge too far and you're like, they have to do this and they're not going to be able to. So they have to get blood work or they have to go to the dentist or they have to go see the doctor. Or for us, like we have to get on the plane. Like we're going to travel. How do we do that? Or you have to go to school. You're not going to want to take a PRN every day, but it is nice to have if your child has anxiety attacks or they become immobilized, how do we give them a little bit extra boost? And so there are some antihistamines that people use to help with that. 
you know, talk to your psychiatrist or your psychiatric nurse practitioner or your pediatrician for that. I know my kids take hydroxazine, which is just an antihistamine, and that really helps, especially my youngest daughter. I mean, she's really the one that takes hydroxazine. Um, my other two don't. But when she is in full-blown panic or when she knows like this is going to be way too much for me, she'll take one pill. And it just, it kind of, it just numbs a little bit. It just makes things a little bit fuzzier so that her anxiety can't get hooked in. And then she's able to do it. And that helps with the narrative of, I was able to do it and I can handle the discomfort. And then she uses that crutch less and less and less. And now I'm trying to remember the last time she used that. It's very rare, very, very rare. Sometimes I'd offer it if we're like getting, we're traveling because travel can trigger her metaphobia and her sensory motor OCD because she's worried she won't have access to the bathroom. And our last few trips, she's like, no, I'm fine. I'm looking forward to it. It's good. So it does improve, but that is good to know that that is an option. If you are struggling and you didn't know that might be an option to talk to your uh, medical provider about. The last thing I would say is if it seems appropriate and your child's willing, journal how it went. So if it was successful on any level, it doesn't have to go smoothly, but if you got through it, can you make a video for yourself and say, hey self, you know, I know you're anxious about getting your blood taken and I just got it done. And honestly, it wasn't as bad as I thought, or, you know, it wasn't fun, but I focused on this and I did this and I got through it. It doesn't have to be like this beautiful story. It can just be like, I managed to get through it. Even though it wasn't fun, I managed. And so journaling or videoing, I do like videoing. I think it's powerful. So if you can make like a video library of your child talking to themselves about their wins, then the next time this anticipatory anxiety shows up again, you can, hey, do you want to watch the video? You have a message for yourself. Can we see your past self? Talk to your current self. Let's play that video. And that's very powerful. So in the end, the goal is that our kids will be able to do this for themselves when they are facing struggles. And we step back. And so we say, what are your red thoughts? What can your green thoughts be, right? What ways can you problem solve this? What are some things you can do to make yourself more comfortable? What things can you accept might happen? Should you back burner this? And I'm, I'm giving you the language. Those are all invitations for our kids to take the baton and run themselves, right? You got this. We're not spoon feeding it. What do you think would be helpful? Is there a visual imagery or a story that you can create in your head, right? But we're not doing it for them. We're not saying, all right, you should create a story in your head or your green thought should be this, this, and this, or like, let's prepare this or touch this and smell this when you're feeling anxious. It's like, what do you think will help you feel grounded? This is what grounding is. What do you think would be helpful? Which one sounds the best for you? Or it might be a question of, when you go do this, do you think you want any grounding techniques after you educate them on that? Yeah, let me bring my worry stone, you know? Or yeah, can you roll some smells on me? We're, we're offering the invitation to use these skills. We're not spoon feeding it or dictating it, right? That makes sense because then they start to learn how to do this themselves. That's the ultimate, ultimate goal. Well, I hope that you're finding this podcast helpful. Don't forget to hit a star and rate the podcast or leave a review. You know, I greatly appreciate that. And I will be back next week with a new episode. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 